Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, December 23rd, 2022. It's been 3,222 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 303 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. some quick housekeeping, we'd like to remind our listeners that our team will be taking a well-deserved break for a few days in December and January, so we will not be publishing new episodes on December 25th or 26th, nor on December 31st or January 1st. And we will be focusing on special reports in the first week of January. Our full situation reports and regular update podcasts will start up for 2023 on January 11th. Of course, If there are any major developments during that time, we'll jump in with coverage and analysis. With that out of the way, let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess there is a significant risk of punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure on December 23rd, 24th, 25th, 31st, and January 1st, 2023. Second, We maintain that terror attacks will continue on civilians and civilian infrastructure and assess an elevated risk of attacks through January 7, 2023. Third, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fourth, we maintain that a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction, is possible. Fifth, while weather-dependent, we maintain the possibility of Russia, Ukraine, or both, launching significant offensive operations on New Year's Day or January 7, 2023, which is Orthodox Christmas. Sixth, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergei Sorovyakin, is under increasing pressure to create progress on the battlefield. Seventh, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. Eighth, despite increasing rhetoric, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is a remote possibility during the winter months. Ninth, We assess that Russian President Vladimir Putin is attempting to address criticism leveled at the Kremlin from the mill blogger community by claiming the Russian Ministry of Defense will listen to and address complaints. Tenth, 
We maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. 11th. We maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. 12th. Our assessment that the private military company or PMC Wagner Group was spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanded role in the Donetsk Oblast was accurate, with PMC Wagner narrowing its focus to Solidar and Bakhmut. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture along most of the front lines. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. Russian forces in Luhansk appear to have launched a counteroffensive on the Svatova axis. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Ukrainian forces successfully repelled an attack on Novoselivsky. Russian forces continue to attempt to disrupt the Ukrainian advance from Novoselivsky along the P-7 highway with another attempt to recapture Stelmachivka. There was also an attempt by Russian troops to advance on Andreevka, the one in Luhansk, that, perhaps predictably, was also unsuccessful. The GSAFU reported an attack on the village of Nadia, indicating that Russian forces have likely shifted Reichorodka from contested to Russian-controlled. The self-declared Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center of Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported that Russian positions in Svatova were heavily shelled. On the Kremina axis, Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Ploshanka and expanded their control of Chervonopopivka, crossing the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. We believe that Ukraine crossed the highway in mid-December based on Russian reports. Ukrainian forces are maintaining operational security, called OPSEC, so the region hasn't had pictures or videos released. In our assessment, Chervonopopivka is still contested, but Ukrainian forces occupy most of the town, Pishane, and the western part of Zhitlivka. Russian sources reported continued fighting near Dibrova, while the GSAFU reported Ukrainian forces successfully repulsed an attack. On the Lysychansk axis, Russian sources reported an attempt to advance into Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, but did not indicate that it was successful. We maintain our assessment that Ukrainian forces were able to push east at the beginning of the week and reclaim most, if not all, of the settlement. Sergei Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, said that Ukrainian forces in Bilohorivka were, quote, holding fast. Governor Haidai also reported that the security situation in Nevsky improved and mail delivery was restarted. In northeast Donetsk on the Kremina axis, the GSAFU reported an attack on Yampovlivka was successfully repulsed. The settlement is 10 kilometers west of the line of conflict, indicating this was a Russian DRG or reconnaissance unit. Russian sources didn't make any claims of a breakthrough in this direction or of fighting in the area. On the Lysychansk axis, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces successfully defended Novoselivka, but didn't specify which Novoselivka. There are two of them in Donetsk. The report implied it was the small village southwest of Verkhnokomyanskia, eight kilometers from the known line of conflict, and in an area that Ukrainian forces have fire control, large troop deployments, and strong defensive positions. 
If the attack was in this direction, it was likely a Russian DRG or reconnaissance unit. Video from December 17th, which we missed, confirmed our assessment that Ukrainian forces hold the village of Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, while Russian forces are in the quarry east of the T-1302 highway. The video showed Ukrainian Humvees engaging and defeating an advancing Russian tank in the forested area just west of the quarry. On the Solidar axis, there were mixed reports and no pictures or videos to provide additional intelligence on the status of Yakovlivka. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces in the settlement successfully defended against a Russian attack, while mercenaries with Wargonzo reported intense fighting on the southeastern outskirts. A Ukrainian source reported the opposite, claiming that PMC Wagner mercenaries had advanced in three directions from the town. Based on the reports, we made a judgment call, moving the line of conflict to the southeastern edge of the settlement and placing Ukrainian troops east of the T-1302 highway. We also expanded PMC Wagner's control on the southwestern side. In Solidar, a video showed PMC Wagner positions shelled in the city's eastern part, west of the gypsum mine. Another video showed a Russian tank, likely operated by Wagner, on Teatralna Boulevard. Based on this information, we moved the line of conflict further west into Solidar. Ukrainian forces maintained their defensive positions in the southern part of Bakhmutska. On the Bakhmut axis, a video from December 21st showed Ukrainian forces had pushed through the forestry region northeast of the city and were fighting to take military control of a radio tower complex. Based on this intelligence, we moved the line of conflict further east. The antenna complex is adjacent to a large open field, with the first defensible position and the M3, or E40, highway at the gas station complex near Pithorodne. The GSAFU reported Ukrainian forces successfully repelled attacks by PMC Wagner, while Wargonzo reported continued fighting and our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah and former Mobik, Igor Gherkin-Strelkov, lamented, quote, There is no good news from the front. Of those voiced in the media, the Wagnerites were pushed back in Bakhmut to the positions they occupied a few days ago, end quote. A Ukrainian source claimed there was intense fighting on the edges of Opitne. There have been repeated reports that PMC Wagner has had some success advancing on the Klishivka that we have not reported due to a lack of evidence. On December 21st, we reported that PMC Wagner units had pushed back Chechen forces fighting for Ukraine near Andreevka. And yesterday, a news crew with Russia Today, or RT, reported from Andreevka. Based on the report, we have coded the hamlet as under Russian control and moved the line of conflict further west in the direction of Klishivka. South of Bakhmut, Russian sources reported continued fighting in the area of Kurdyumivka and Ozaryanivka. Russian forces are trying to take control of the road that leads to Chasivyar. Both Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting in the northwest region of Mayorsk by the train station. In southwest Donetsk, on the Horlivka axis, the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, attacked New York and were unsuccessful. A Russian source reported fighting in the direction of Oleksandropil and, quote, near New York. The other Novoselivka in Donetsk is south of New York and west of Oleksandropil, which creates the earlier question, which Novoselivka did the GSAFU mean when they reported the settlement was successfully defended? 
The one on the Horlivka axis appears to be the more likely candidate, considering the active fighting in the area. However, Ukrainian forces securing part or all of the settlement would be significant, and seems unlikely considering the Russian forces' strength in this area. On the Avdiivka axis, elements of the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance on Kamyanka, but were unsuccessful and could not cross the H-20 highway. On the southern side of Avdiivka, Russian sources indicated that DNR separatists had been pushed completely out of Vodyana and were attempting to regain lost positions. Fighting continued near Pervomaiske and the Ukrainian firebase at Navelsky, with Russian forces suffering significant losses while making no gains. On the Marinka axis, Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Krasnohorivka, once again without success. In Marinka, a video showed Ukrainian positions at a poultry processing factory being shelled, indicating that there has been a counteroffensive north of the Osikova River, and Ukrainian forces have pushed toward the mine waste heap on the eastern edge of the city. Fighting continued east of Druzhby Avenue. Russian reports of a westward push are false, but fighting is intense. In one building, territorial control is based on which floor Russian and Ukrainian troops occupy. On the Volodar axis, did the 1st Army Corps of the DNR attack the eastern edge of Novomikhailivka yet again? Yes. Were they successful? No. A video from the DNR showed an artillery unit firing from a position near Marinka, using a D-20 152-millimeter towed howitzer with a visibly heat-damaged and worn barrel. Although the destruction of a Ukrainian armor-protected vehicle is undeniable, it is extremely unlikely that that particular artillery piece can have that degree of accuracy. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram Channel claimed, without evidence as always, that their forces destroyed one tank, two M777 155mm towed howitzers, and eight, quote, units of armored and automotive vehicles. Well, they did prove they destroyed one armored vehicle. Ukrainian forces carried out 298 fire missions on the occupied territories. Multiple cities in the occupied territories were shelled, including Makivka, Horlivka, and Donetsk. The mayor of Russian-occupied Horlivka, Ivan Prichodko, was hospitalized after being injured in an artillery strike. He is expected to recover from his injuries. The former director general of Roscosmos, Dmitry Ragozin, now a wealthy Mobik and who was injured in an apparent targeted artillery strike on the Sheshbesh restaurant, has reportedly taken a turn for the worse, with doctors unable to remove the shrapnel from his body. He has been transported to a hospital in Moscow for further treatment. In Mariupol, Russian forces started demolishing the drama theater's outer walls after vowing to repair it. The theater was the location of the largest documented number of killed civilians in a single strike on March 14th and is considered a war crime scene. Russian engineers plan to keep only the facade. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro, with Russian forces conducting 61 fire missions on free Ukraine, killing one and wounding two. Half of the strikes were on Kherson from artillery, mortars, and grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, 
targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. The Kherson suburb of Biloserka was heavily shelled, as was Stanislav on the mouth of the Dnipro River. In Kohovka, Andriy Stepa, a Russian collaborator and mayor of occupied Lyubimivka, was killed in a car bombing. There was still no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and still no update on the status of negotiations for demilitarization. Social media reports alleged that rockets fired by HIMARS hit a Russian base in Tokmak. There were only sporadic artillery exchanges between Russian and Ukrainian forces from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapole to Orekhiv to Shirbaki. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Russian sources reported that the 127th Separate Reconnaissance Brigade of the Main Intelligence Directorate of Russia, or GRU, suffered catastrophic losses in an artillery attack east of the Dnipro. On December 21st, we reported that the surviving members had turned into rioters. Alexander Kovalenko reported that the unit never entered into combat or even reached the line of conflict, suffering heavy losses in an artillery or HIMARS strike. A Kilo-class submarine left the port in Sevastopol. It's capable of launching up to four caliber cruise missiles. In north and northeast Ukraine, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Khotin, and Snobnovhorodsk were shelled. The village of Iskriskivshina near Bilopilia was hit by 16 mortar shells that landed in the settlement center. The House of Culture suffered a direct hit, and two homes were heavily damaged. In the Shalekhin Hromada, the village of Vysoki was attacked by Russian troops. Ukrainian Territorial Guard units were able to defend the town, with Russian forces returning to their starting point over the international border. In Kharkiv, a Russian attack on Khatni was repulsed. It's unclear if this was a Russian DRG, reconnaissance unit, or spoiling attack that passed through Milova on the Russian border. On the Russian front, the only Russian aircraft carrier, the Admiral Kuznetsov, had a minor fire while in dry dock for extensive repairs and improvements. The Soviet-era aircraft carrier was considered over-engineered when it was first built and has been plagued with issues, particularly its propulsion system. In economic news, the ruble rebounded, with the exchange rate improving to 68 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices were mixed, with WTI crude falling to $79 a barrel and Brent unchanged at $83. Russian Ural's crude rose to $56 a barrel. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market was unchanged at $2.28 a gallon or $0.61 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures plunged to 85 euros per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and 87 euros for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures were unchanged, holding at $7.69 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates.
Thank you for listening.